It's Friday. I hope all of you have a job and I hope all of you will partake after you get done. It's May 14th, episode 66 of The Hezzy. Let's get right to it because that's what we do, right? Sixers heat. I'm sure most of you have seen through social media or maybe you were watching that early game. It's a little spicy to begin this game here as things tend to get between these two teams. Trevor Ariza gets rolled up on after Joel Embiid kind of slow falls and stumbles under his feet. And, you know, it happened so slowly, I get why Ariza thought it was kind of weird or dirty, right? He, Joel, he fell in slow-mo, as, almost as if he could have controlled himself. But, I mean, if you've watched Joel, right, he's high-key goofy. He hits the floor all the time in goofy ways. And so I don't think it was on purpose. Purpose or not, I think he was frustrated that his ankle got rolled up on and it looked legit, right? Like it wasn't one that he could shake off. He had to check out of the game. He's on the sidelines chirping at Embiid. And you know, Joel is more than happy to go back and forth with somebody, you know, just woofing and all that. But the funny thing is, is Trevor Ariza, like, why does he try to G-check everybody? Like he's some sort of Hall of Famer or something, right? Like remember the Trey Young thing a year ago? Like, nigga, you are a lucky Jeff Green. You know, I, I don't know why he thinks he has this OG status where he's always trying to check everybody. But uh, yeah, so that kind of got things rolling. That got the juices flowing between these two teams. Well, at least it did for Miami. I don't. And there was no juices flowing for the Sixers last night. The other story is Udonis Haslam. Yeah, he's still an active player for the Heat. And he has been for what, like 20 years? Dade County, the hometown boy. And really what he's been in is he's been a locker room enforcer a culture setter for this heat team through you know the last like 15 years he checks into the game because this is probably his final minutes as a player I'm sure he'll he'll transfer right over to being a coach but you know he's not part of the rotation so they're not going to play him in the playoffs so he checks in to kind of get his love his flowers from the home team crowd Dwight kind of throws him down in the paint now if you've been watching Dwight the last few years he Dwight is one of the biggest bullies in the league He'll, he'll give you the innocent face, but if you watch him in the paint, he throws motherfuckers around like nothing. He throws old Udonis's ass to the floor, looked like he might have broke his hip, stayed down for a minute. He gets up, and he sticks his finger in Dwight's face like he's Iceberg Slim checking one of his hoes. The shit was hilarious. So he gets tossed. I think he might have poked Dwight in the eye, right? And as he's walking off the floor and he gets tossed, the camera pans over to Pat Riley and you can see he's grinning ear to ear through his mask. Priceless moment there for Haslam and in a fitting way for him to spend his final minutes as an NBA player, right? Now, as I alluded to earlier, the Sixers just didn't show up. Joel Embiid, six points. Look, I'm going to give the Sixers a pass here because they, it just, you know, it was just, I'm going to say it's one of those nights, right? They, they weren't ready. They didn't show up. Miami the hungrier team, and they just completely rolled them. Hero was going nuts, and they look like they're going to be at full strength outside of Oladipo. Man, you got to wonder. I, get, I I like taking chances, calculated risks as a as an organization. You know, you've got to go for it. But in hindsight, right, it, you know, not making that Oladipo trade would have left them with a lot more depth, man. But anyway, Miami's about as healthy as they can get. Ariza was fine. He, he continued to play uh, over the ankle. Drogic is back. And so, look, they rolled him, man. But here's the, here's the deal. 
that's fine. I'm, I'm giving the Sixers the pass for this regular season game for whatever reason. Okay, if they get rolled like this in this potential second round matchup that looks like what's going to play out here, I think you're going to officially see Ben Simmons on the trade block. And it's not to blame him, but I mean, what else are you going to do? That's the piece. Tobias Harris, uh, I don't know, Tobias coming off a, a super efficient career year, maybe with a little less years on that deal, maybe he can be made available. The, the point I'm trying to make is obviously they're not going to move Embiid, but you're going you're gonna to see a, a big shuffle up because it's just, it's not going to work as constructed if they get rolled like that. If you look at the Bucks and the Sixers, correct me if I'm wrong, but is it not finals or bust for both of those teams right now as they're constructed? Otherwise, heads are going to roll. Now, contextually, okay, let's say it goes. they get to the Eastern Conference Finals and lose in seven. Okay, maybe that's, that's fine, right? But if they get knocked out second round, like it looks like one or maybe both of these teams will, you're going to have to have a big shuffle up and it's going to make for an interesting summer. Speaking of summer and franchises, I saw a report. The Bulls want to pair Bradley Beal with Zach Levine and Vucevic and form a big three. It's a lot of offense, not a lot of defense, right? But uh, within that same report, it said that Zach Levine would be willing to take a discount to build a winner. I would love to see more players in their prime, younger players, do that, right? The, the, at, at a certain point, the money's crazy. If he's making $200 million or 180 I mean, who am I to say? But it seems like what what's really the difference ultimately? But anyway, I think the problem with that is the Chicago Bulls haven't proven to be a competent front office in how many years? That's cool that Zach's willing to do that, but is that with whom you want to place your faith? Spurs all but have locked up this 10th spot going into the night. They had to beat the Knicks, and they were up big on them. Knicks come storming back, man. Alec Burt, huge game. R.J. Barrett got hot. And the Knicks, man, they're just... <laughs> Again, I, I don't think anybody wants to play these Knicks, man, but the Spurs end up blowing this big lead to the Knicks, and so all of a sudden, the Kings are still not mathematically eliminated from this play-in. Meanwhile, they're in the game with the Memphis Grizzlies playing a bunch of, like, G-leaguers. Oh, yeah, and I, I want to I correct something with my all-competitive list from yesterday. There was a guy I was forgetting, and it sprung to mind as I turned over to this Kings game. It's Dylan Brooks. I'll take Russ off the list because Russ is, you know, Russ is in a category of his own. I mean, Russ is Russ, right? Dylan Brooks fits the description perfectly, right? He's a he's a no, 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 yes shooter. You want to talk about irrational confidence? So maybe a lot of those guys, that that's one and the same, right? The competitive spirit, the all competitive team, kind of goes along with the irrational confidence gene as well. Anyway, I turn it over to Kings Memphis because Warriors fans also had some interest in, in what Memphis was doing, right? I turn it on in good old Damian Jones out of Vanderbilt, Warriors former pick, seven-footer, super athletic. I'm watching him in there. He was rebounding well. You know, he was in there being big. And it's funny, man, because we always see these soft big men, these soft seven-footers. Every other team has one that just disappoint you. And I think we all say to ourselves, bruh, if I was that big, I would be out there just killing folks. I'd be out there putting niggas on their back, right? But would you? Would you? Because it kind of goes to the nature versus nurture argument. If you were six foot four in sixth grade, 
Would you have the same temperament that you do now? Probably not. I think a lot of it has to do with that. A lot of these seven-footers, they were giant kids, and it made them timid. Damian Jones is a perfect example of that. So I think sometimes I got to remind myself and cut, cut some of these dudes some slack. Like, look, if I was a giant at 10, I probably wouldn't be as an aggressive person as I am right now either. And that's what makes the shacks so special in, in these rare bigs who were big, bad, didn't give a fuck and ran over people, right? That's a special trait. Anyway, I'm watching, let me see if I can get this name right, Chamazi Metu with a U. Might have to learn the name. Second round pick for the King, six foot nine, power forward, was just killing it in the pick and pop, man. The shot looks pure. I like his confidence. I like the way he moves out there as a ball player. And then another second round pick for the Kings, Justin James, was just going nuts. They tried Dylan Brooks on him. They had jaw on him. He's a six foot seven guard forward. And he was just flying off those handoffs. And it appears that he has an elite float game. He has a real nice floater that he can shoot at full speed. That's what makes it tough. A lot of guys can slow down and shoot a floater. If you can turn the corner coming downhill with some speed and still shoot the floater, that's a whole nother element. And that's what he was able to do. And then he can also stop and stick the three. And so what did he have? Like 30, he had like 29 points. And what happened was the Kings rolled out a bunch of dudes with everything to prove and nothing to lose. A bunch of dudes fighting to stay in the league. It kind of reminds me of when you're at the courts, right? You're playing pickup ball. And, you know, you're kind of disrespecting the scrub team. There's a team, there's always a team at the courts that's formed from all the dudes that no one wanted to pick up. They're sitting on the side. Hey, hey, you running with, oh, no, no, I got my four. I got my four. I got my three. If you go in fours. And then so eventually there's enough of the scrubs that no one wanted to pick up and they form their own team. And then they get out there and you're high key disrespecting them and they get out there and they're playing twice as hard as you. They're playing twice as hard as you, right? They run your ass off the floor. I know it's happened to all of y'all. Don't front. You know what I'm talking about. And so that's what looked like was happening in Memphis last night. Memphis was not ready for all of that. And the Kings were kind of in control. Buddy was out there still kind of leading the brigade. He was out there using his gravity. But in the end, ultimately, there's a reason why these dudes were second round picks. And all those shots that were dropping throughout the game, they got tight late and they started missing them. Buddy Heald comes flying in for an offensive rebound. It's a one possession game. And I have a pet peeve with coaches in the NBA. Like they, they hold on to their timeouts too much, in my opinion. And Buddy, so he, he comes flying in for this offensive rebound and now he's pinned under the basket with it, right? And, and Luke doesn't call a timeout. And so eventually he kind of gets bullied out of bounds or they call a traveler or whatever it is, it's a turnover. And there was like two or three seconds where they could have called a timeout. Memphis comes back down, and what did I say about the Grizzlies? Run it through Big Valanciunas. They give him the post catch. He turns, blows through whoever it was for the and one. And Memphis ends up holding on to the game, and this play-in is locked in now to an extent. San Antonio, Memphis, and Golden State, all three are in. We're still figuring out who that seventh seed is. It's, it looks like it's going to be the Lakers, even though you know we'll get to Portland here later. And so now, Sunday... The Warriors and Grizzlies game will determine who's the eighth seed and who's the ninth seed. Yesterday, I, I talked about it. I don't think it's that clear that you want to be the eighth seed. Call me crazy. Call me crazy. I don't know. We'll see. You know, something that hasn't really been discussed that Thibodeau had brought up is 
the play-in allows teams more preparation for their first-round matchups. Usually the playoffs, boom, it's right after the regular season. There's not a lot of prep for that first-round matchup. Now they get like almost a week, some of these teams. And so I immediately started to think about what teams that would benefit most. The Heat came to mind in Spolstra, and then Quinn Snyder and the Jazz came to mind. But then I also thought, what if it's the other way around? What if it's the staffs that don't prepare as well are able to close the gap with the extra time? Because Miami and Utah, they're always going to be prepared, right? They're always over-prepared. Maybe it's some of these other staffs that aren't great in that area, and this week of time allows them to close the gap is what I'm saying. So I don't know. We'll see. There's, there's just a lot of new little variables to how this is going to play out, man. So let's get to this Suns-Blazers game. Hell of a game. Hell of a game. DeAndre Ayton was out with a yeast infection. No Cam Johnson. The Blazers are pretty much at full strength. I mean, no, no Zach Collins, but what else is new, right? Chris Paul's been getting a lot of love. Even some MVP talks. I don't know about all that, right? But I think the cost of having Chris Paul with this Suns team, and I understand his value and that they need him, but I think it does fuck with Book's rhythm. Like, let's be clear here. Chris Paul, he's not a... a Throw it ahead guy. Chris Paul wants to get the ball, pound it 10 times, and set it up on his time. And that's something you have to adjust to. And so, Chris Paul, you saw him going in this game last night. Is it sometimes at the cost of Devin Booker? I don't know if they can both be going at the same time where you look over to the backcourt duo of Dame and CJ, and it's seamless. They don't have to ever think about what the other guy is thinking. They know. And that's not even to say that CP and Book couldn't form that type of chemistry, but it takes time, time they don't have, to be honest with you. The other difference, I think, between the duos is you saw Dame and CJ take more threes. Dame had a special night last night. It wasn't a normal Dame game, but just generally speaking, they're more prolific from the three-point line. And, uh, you know, I love watching Book and CP cook and work in their fundamentals of basketball. They take an alarming amount of difficult mid-range pull-up jumpers. The analytics crowd, I'm surprised they're not on their necks for it. Maybe they are, and I'm just not paying attention, right? But between CP and Book, you know where they're going, right? They're going to that nail, that elbow for that pull-up jumper, and they're damn good at it. But I think sometimes you see other teams are like, all right, well, we're just going to match you with threes. And we know that Phoenix has shooters. Their others are shooters, right? They space the floor, but I'm just pointing out their go-to guys take a lot of mid-range jumpers. Cam Payne had a big night off the bench for the Suns, 21-6-5. I feel like Payne gets his shot off and his three ball in particular off. He kind of shocks guys because he has that weird, wide, staggered stance. And then I think guys forget that he's a lefty, right? So he's got the right foot back, which innately as a defender, when you see a, a, a ball player and their right leg is staggered back, it it's kind of signaling to you that they're driving, but not him. He's a lefty. So he's actually in his shooting stance and he just kind of sneaks it up. And then you see guys contest off to the wrong side of his hand. Anyway, he had a big game, but he's just such a, a funky player to watch his, his stop and go, his change of pace and burst. He's, he's a guy that when he's going, there's really nothing you can do with him. For Portland, Dame was going off, but it wasn't the typical Dame. He was getting to the cup at an alarming rate. I think he took 15 shots in the paint last night. Part of that was no DeAndre Ayton. The other part, I think, was who was guarding him in Mikel Bridges. I'll, I'll speak on that here in a, in a second. 
And then, you know what? Watching Booker the last three games, the Lakers, Golden State, and then last night, an area that he's got to get better is team defense. When he's off, like he's definitely improved when he's on the ball, he's game. But when he's off, he gets caught ball watching way too much. And then he ends up a step late over for the rotation or wherever he gets caught on a pin down or whatever. He just, he just ball watches. He's not that great off ball as a team defender yet. That's an area he's going to have to improve. But overall, the game was crazy, man. It felt like it was tied the whole game. It's a tie once again with about a minute 30 to go. And Booker turns it over. He gets his pocket picked. The turnover was kind of halfway on Dario Sarge, who was super cheeks last night. Awful. What happened was Book was waiting for Dario to roll. And as he was waiting, it was a beat late for the roll. And then he got picked from behind. But Dario, man, look, I know he's missed some time, but he he didn't have his legs, his confidence. He was a mess out there. And so... He goes on to miss three out of four free throws with under a minute. And what the surprising thing was, was Chris Paul was absolutely cooking in the mid-range. And finally, with a minute to go, he decides to drop it off to Dario. Read the room, Chris. The dude's been awful all night, and you want to rely on him to close the game. And so, sure enough, he misses all those free throws, which put the Suns behind the eight ball. Dame comes down and just blows right through Mikel Bridges' left to the cup. And that's what I was talking about as far as him getting to the basket. I think we saw last night the weakness in Mikel Bridges as a defender right now. And it is his weakness, literally, his physical weakness. He isn't strong enough yet to keep power players from blowing through him. Perfect example was that drive that Dame got late left. I think eventually Bridges will get there, but it's going to take some time, much like a, a young Trevor Ariza or a young James Posey. Right? It takes them a little while to get their man strength. They're, he's always going to have that wiry, skinny frame, but he can still get stronger. It's, it's a few years away from being there and being a complete defender. He'll get there. It's just not happening yet. And you saw Dame take advantage of that. Dame realized, look, I'm not trying to shoot over this dude's arms. So let me just get into his body and get into the pain. It was, it was high IQ play from Dame last night. So then Booker turns it over again. This time it was all on him. He grabs a rebound and he turns to push the ball and Mello jumped him as he was turning. And he probably should have just tried to force a block charge call, but instead he tried to spin off of it and he got the ball caught on his hip and it was a double dribble. I think Booker is probably not quite the ball handler that he thinks he is. In an ISO situation, he's good. He's money, right? But in traffic, he's just not there yet, as we saw it play out last night. And to be honest, it might just be some physical limitations with him, right? He's kind of a bigger power guard. And so he he's just may not have that dexterity and that agility to be an elite ball handler, at least not yet, right? And so anyway, the Suns foul now. They're playing the clock here. They send Robert Covington to the line. He clanks both them bitches. So the Suns with one last opportunity, and I thought it was another interesting dynamic between Chris and Booker, Chris Paul dominated the second half of that game. He had the ball in his hands every possession, and he was absolutely cooking. But on this final opportunity, down one, they go to Booker. I'm not saying I disagree with it. I just think that you're asking a dude that hasn't been getting touches or rhythm to close out the game, side out of bounds, Booker stunts towards the corner, pops up to the top, catches, drives hard right to the spot on the elbow, and then flails as a shot goes up, and there's a whistle. Live, it looked terrible. It looked like it was a just complete phantom call. They go to the replay, and Norman Powell 
reaches across Booker's body and gets him on the elbow. It was a foul, man. What can you do? It, was it a cheap one? Was it a weak one? Yeah, it was, but it was a foul. You can't reach across the shooter's body and, and get any part of him. And so Devin Booker steps to the line and nets both of them for the game. Tough one for Portland. Dame gives you 41. It felt like they blew it at the end. Neither team executed well down the stretch, but it felt kind of like Portland blew it. And you hate for a game to be ended on a on a foul call like that, but it was just a stupid play from Powell to reach across. Barkley was on his neck after the game. Now, for me, you could argue the game was more important for the Suns than Portland. Now, obviously, the Blazers want to avoid the play-in, and I still think they will. I still think they will, and so that's why maybe it's not as important. But from a psychological standpoint for this young Suns team, they get beat by the Lakers. They get beat by the Suns. You're going to get beat by Portland now? Three L's in a row against teams that you're possibly going to be seeing real quick in the playoffs. So I think from a confidence and psychological standpoint, it was almost more important for the Suns to get this game. We've heard rumors of this for a while. The Wolves have been up for sale, and it sounds like Alex Rodriguez and his group of investors are going to buy the Timberwolves for $1.5 billion. I'm sure young Ant-Man helped that sale go through, right? Still has to be approved by the league, but I bring it up to say this. I know Alex Rodriguez pretty damn well, man. I followed his whole baseball career. I like him as an on-air personality because he just tells it how it is, right? I think we all know A-Rod pretty well, right? He's he's just been in the spotlight for so long. We've all seen his career play out. Does Alex Rodriguez seem like the type of dude that would like D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns as the leaders of his franchise? I don't know. They don't seem like they're cut from the same cloth. Finish up again with little Warriors news, little Warriors mailbag stuff for my Dubs fans. My guy Kishi hit me with the Twitter question, Austin Rivers. We talked Kyle Lowry yesterday. What about Austin Rivers as a pickup and a possible fit for the Warriors? You see him doing his thing in Denver now. The thing with Austin Rivers is he kind of needs the ball, right? He's a rhythm player, so he needs the ball. I like his versatility as a defender, and I like his mental makeup. I think he's a tough ball player, but I don't really see a spot for him on the Warriors roster with the way Jordan Poole's coming along. I think that they do too much of the same stuff, and I think that they both like to massage the ball and need the ball a little bit, right? He's not an off-ball player, and so it doesn't seem like that would be a fit moving forward for the Warriors. Now, the other Warriors news is they, they made some roster moves, maybe a little bit late for some of y'all, but Juan Toscano-Anderson, the pride of Oakland, gets his official NBA contract. I believe it's a two-year deal, one of those you-can-do-it moments. So that was that was dope. They take his two-way spot, sign back Jordan Bell, who seems like he's matured a little bit. I don't know. I'm watching that press conference. He's got his hands in his tank top like a little boy, so I don't know. We'll see. Um, bring in Jordan Bell. They also bring back Gary Payton II. So they've filled out the roster here. And you look up and down it now, and all of a sudden, what you've got are a bunch of plus athletes who are dogs. Starting off with the dog of all dogs in Draymond Green, Kelly Oubre, I don't know if he's going to be back, but he's a dog. Kent Bazemore, he's a goofy dog, but he's a dog. He's in your ass every night. Juan T, obviously. And then Jordan Bell and Gary Payton fit the description. So I like the the roster design around our offensive firepower, and it, it, it feels like a team that could come out and bully some of these other teams. 
I think you saw that in that Suns game the other night. Anyway, Sunday, it will be Warriors-Memphis for the eighth spot. As always, I'll have every Warriors breakdown on my Patreon and a ton of playoff coverage moving forward. Y'all enjoy the weekend. This is The Hezzy, brought to you by BasketballGods.net. I'm out, y'all.